that was an absolutely pathetic round of applause. Now, just think, think, you're not thinking about what I've just said. I'm 99, that's 99 people who had pain and the pain left, who were sick and then weren't. God did 99, has done 99 miracles in the last two years in, in healing through people in our church. Come on! It's extraordinary. And listen, um, we want more. We want more. Um, and I, I, I'm not sure. 99 was the last time that I, um, I got the email that counts them up. I think we might be beyond 100 uh, by now. Certainly, um, we're, uh, we're hearing new things all the time. And just before Alan comes to, sp- to speak, I just wanted to get us to share another couple of quick testimonies of things that have happened. So this is Barney. Everyone say big welcome to Barney. Okay, Barney, how long have you been in Hope Church? Uh, about two weeks. Brilliant. Don't you just love this? I love this. And uh, what, uh, you were out on the, kind of the street reach, is that what it's called? Street reach, is that right? And uh, what were you doing on the street reach? Uh, well, some of us were giving free hugs to people, and uh, me and another group, we were going out to pray for people who had like, sicknesses that we could like, see. And um, there was this girl called Rosalina. She was in like a mobility chair thing. And we asked her if we could go and pray for her. And uh, she said we could. She had like arthritis and uh, sciatica. And she had like bad pain. And so we prayed for her. And when we finished praying, uh, we asked her if she had any more pain. And she said no, that it was gone. And she was really excited. So. Come on. And. Another cool thing was, um, before we leave, we pray that like God speaks to us to tell, to tell us like who to go and talk to and stuff. And um, at one point, I felt God was saying Batman to me. And I was like, oh, that's, that's silly. That's just me thinking it in my head. But I wrote it down on the little piece of paper anyway. And we went out, and we were praying for someone. And then suddenly, this guy dressed up as Batman walks past. <laughs> I was like, no way. So, so I ran after him and then gave him a hug. And then we started talking. We talked for like five Five minutes, tell them what we were doing. So it's really, really cool. Come on. Come on. I love that. He's been in the church two weeks. He's straight in. He's right involved right from day one. I love it. And Shoshana, I think, has a test. Is Shoshana about? Brilliant. Um, Shoshana's got a test of me from Light and Life, which is um, a kind of organization that we partner with uh, who put on kind of things like uh, the look. Um, like kind of spiritual fair type things, um, except it's the Holy Spirit. Uh, and uh, we get to pray for people and uh, prophesy over people. And I think you've got a testimony from that. Um, I was part of the healing team um, in the week past. And um, we were incredibly busy. But one lady that stuck out to me um, what we were praying with is a lady that came in. And eight months previously, she'd completely shattered her ankle to the point that the surgeons did operate eventually, but she, it was, she, they put in several plates and pins, but it was either that or lose her, lose her foot, so it was really badly damaged. Um, and she had seen a degree of success, obviously, from the plate of pins, but um, every time she walked, she was in pain, and she couldn't wear shoes, and she'd come in with boots on, but they weren't zipped. The zip was just there. Um, <laughs> and um, 
we started praying with this lady, and um, I asked her if she felt anything. She said, there's a vibration through her foot. But I could feel this amazing heat, so I started moving my hand just in case it was, the heat was coming off my, my hand to her hand, to her foot. And um, then again, asked if she could feel it, and then, then she felt heat. And my hand wasn't there, so I knew it wasn't from myself. Um, I then got the lady to get up and walk around the entire hall, and she had no pain. She then came and sat down, and I felt God tell me to pray in a really specific place, and I prayed on this really specific place. She turned around, tied the boot up, and walked off. (laughs) Just before you clap about that, I I then said to her, do you want a relationship with this amazing Jesus that's just healed you? And she said, I've just been to the prophecies table, and I did it there. So this lady came in, was prophesied over, committed her life to Jesus, and was healed in one night. Listen, listen, if you, have, if you have pain in your body at all um, today, we would love to pray with you at the end. We, we always give an opportunity for people uh, to be prayed for. Um, if you don't know Jesus, I would love to pray with you um, at the end uh, today. You're going to have an opportunity to respond to him uh, today. So if you've got pain, if you don't know Jesus, then you can leave without pain knowing Jesus. I mean, what about that for a deal? Uh, more than you were expecting this morning, I bet. Okay, now we've got the magnificent uh, Alan Harrison going to come and speak to us. Alan is just an amazing Bible teacher, so let's give him a big hand. Hello? I love it that you're clapping. I haven't done anything yet. This could be terrible for you, you know. Right. Ooh, this is the voice of God. No, it's not. Okay, good morning. I am Alan Harrison. If you haven't met me, I'd like to implore you to come and meet me. I will be the one scurrying towards the buffet at the end of the meeting. Um, I'm a large creature, can be seen at dusk. Yeah, my name is Alan. I am... Yeah, I'm good at starting sermons, you might be able to tell. Um, Yeah, my name's Alan. I am a small group leader, uh, myself and my lovely wife, who do the notices. Um, We lead a small group in the West End, which is amazing. Yeah. (laughs) You do it in G, you do it in C, you do it in B. (laughs) We'll have a chord. Um, Now, small groups are one of the foundational ideas of Hope Church. It's basically, you're in a room, there are 107 adults in this room today. I've counted. I count every week. Um, Now, if you tried to speak to everybody today, even for one minute, that would take you more than an hour and a half, okay? But in a small group setting, there's 10, 15, 20 people, you can talk to many different people. I like that. You can talk to many different people for much longer. So if there's 20 people, you can talk to everybody for an hour and a half, but you'll get maybe five minutes out of them. And you get to know people more, and you get to be friends and so on. So if you're not part of a small group, come and talk to me afterwards, and you can come along to mine. (laughs) Um, There are many other good small groups around, (laughs) none of whom are being represented here today. So, like I said, uh, my name is Alan. I do a bit of Bible teaching here and other places. And today we're going to be talking about 
the idea of the Sabbath, which is a day of rest. But just before I do that, I want to sort of give a rationale for preaching, because if you're not familiar with preaching, somebody standing up and talking at you for 40 minutes can seem a little bit alien. I remember Phil Ford many years ago saying it's a little bit like, little bit like seeing somebody wearing a toga in Sainsbury's. It's, like, it's kind of familiar, but at the same time, it's really kind of weird. I'm a teacher in a school, and I, get, I will get up and talk to my kids for, you know, an hour and try and get them to do some work. But... If, since you've, if you've left school, since you've left school, if you're not at university, somebody just talking at you can be a bit strange, but we don't just do it just because it's pleasant. I hope it's pleasant. Um, there is a rationale behind preaching, which is the Word of God is a powerful two-edged sword and is important for our lives as Christians. Matthew 22, verse 29. Don't look at it because I'm only going to re- reference it for about a minute, but this is Jesus having a conversation with the Pharisees and... Jesus said to them, you are wrong. I love, I love, you, no, no sort of beating around the bush with Jesus. You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Okay? Now, for years, the, the Western church, including ourselves, um, we've known the scriptures. We've known the scriptures really well, but we haven't seen much of the power of God. And I believe that's shifting. I believe we're starting to see more of the power of God, a different side of Christianity. And this is amazing, and we want to go after this with all our might. But we don't want to fall into the opposite trap of sort of knowing the power of God and having no idea about the Bible. Jesus says, if you, if you don't know the Bible or the power of God, you're wrong. So, hence, preaching. <laughs> so, that's my preamble. Today, we're going to be thinking about an f- idea which is familiar to us. Let's give you that. Um, some of us will be familiar with this idea, uh, the Sabbath. Some of us might think, ah, that means Sunday. Um, Some of us will have no idea what I'm talking about when I say that word. It's derived from a Jewish word. The title for today's sermon, if you're making notes um, or if you are recording it, uh, is God and the Rest. Which, (laughs) thank you for your pity. (laughs) Right, so, the Sabbath is essentially an idea of having a day off from work once a week. And... But if we're going to start thinking about having a day off, we have to start by thinking about having a day on. We have to start by thinking about the biblical idea of being at work. Um, However, first of all, we should pray, because I think we are a fantastic church, but if we're a church without, a church that doesn't pray, we will be a less fantastic church. And this is a fantastic city with many hundreds of churches in it, and we need all the churches to be functioning on all cylinders if we're going to turn the city around. So I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are good and that and we get to experience that in a real way, Lord. I pray for every church around this wonderful city of Glasgow today that they would have the best service they've had in ages, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would rush upon them, that you would anoint every person who is preaching, that you would open hearts to listen to the message of the gospel, that all the churches around this city will be magnificently blessed by you this morning, God. I pray for us here and for, um, for myself as, as we're going to open your word, Lord. I pray that you would impart it to us, Lord, that we wouldn't just go away nodding and agreeing, but that we would be changed by it. Amen. Amen. Right. I will be using the word work throughout this whole sermon, but when I say work, that also applies to being at uni, being at school, child rearing, whatever you do, well, whatever you do, sort of... I am at work when I am at school, 
because I'm a teacher. Uh, John Luke is at work when he is at uni, because he is a student, and so on, okay? So I will be using the word work, but I'm using it to encompass all those things. So if, you, if, you don't, if you're thinking, I don't have a job, I don't need to listen, you're wrong. <laughs> <clears throat> right. Work. Way back in the beginning of all things, God gives Adam work to do. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Way back in the beginning of all things. And this is before Adam had sinned. This was something that God said, this would be good for Adam to do, before there was any sin in the world. And before Adam sinned and caused a whole mess of problems for his descendants, us. And this is important because it sets the biblical agenda for what work is and what work isn't. Work isn't, as some people would like to believe, some sort of punishment that is imposed on humanity. Rather, work is given to humanity before there was any sin in the world, and so it's a good thing in and of itself. But as with all bad things, they are good things tainted, changed, altered, made bad by sin. And it's only after that sin, disobedience, evil, etc., comes into the world that work becomes difficult, laborious. Genesis 3.17 says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. You will eat of it by the sweat of your brow. So before, you were just, ah, brilliant, a turnip, I can have dinner. Whereas now you have to till the ground and plow the ground and spend all this energy, like you've got to work at it. So before, work was good. After, work was still good, but made bad by sin. As we know, Jesus, let's talk about Jesus for a bit. Jesus, who was totally without sin, was a carpenter for the first 30 years of his life. Uh, Mark 6 verse 3, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? The answer is yes, this is the carpenter, son of Mary. Jesus, who was totally without sin, if there was ever a person who could have said, I don't need to work because I'm God, it would have been Jesus. (laughs) But Jesus worked as a carpenter. He made tables, chairs, stuff like this. Um, Also, the apostle Paul, we know that Paul would make a living just making tents, which I would imagine would just be sort of, here's a stick, here's a stick, here's some cloth. You can get through many of them in a day. Um, but he would, it's an easy job, but he would make tents. If anybody makes tents here, I'm sure you work very hard. It's, it's more than sticks and towels. Um, but Paul would make tents during the week, and then he would debate with the Jews and the Greeks on the weekends. So he would, like, like he would, work, and he would work to fund his ministry. So, work is a good thing that has been tainted by sin. Uh, And so a lot of us have jobs from which we adore, uh, which we had a lot of pleasure, and some of us have jobs which basically we hate, that are really difficult, that we find stressful, or that we find distressing or depressing or um, debilitating or so on. And a helpful verse to try and help us have a healthy attitude towards work is Colossians 3.23, which reads, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So when you work, of course you're working for your employer, but in a more real sense even, you're working for Christ. So that should sort of influence our, how we come to work. Now, even though some of us will have jobs that are difficult, that are stressful, that we don't like, God has made it his business to help us out of bad situations. 
and has been helping and healing and redeeming humanity for thousands and thousands of years. So God gives humanity the idea of a Sabbath, and we're going to have a look at the biblical idea of this now. There are four verses in this sermon from now on, and so the first one, we're going to the book of Genesis. Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3. If you have a Bible, turn there just for now. If you have an app, you are in the 21st century you can, until your Bible crashes and requires to be reinstalled. I don't bring a Bible to church because I have it on my phone, but sometimes it's like, right, my Bible has frozen. I will use an old-fashioned paper one. So, actually, the Sabbath, the day of rest, was put in place before there was even sin in the world. Okay, Genesis 2, 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on, the, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from the work that he had done in creation. Before there was sin, there was Sabbath. Okay? God created the world, and then God, who doesn't need to take a rest, <laughs> he wasn't really knackered after he'd created the world. God is the sustainer of all life and the source of all energy. Okay? So all energy and life in the world is derived from God. He, he doesn't get tired and, sort of, and because of that has a day off. God, however, took a day of rest. And we have to think, why? Why did he do this? Why didn't he create more things? A spotted rainbow leopard or something? Or, you know, uh, I don't know, colonization on the moon? Or I don't know, but uh, maybe you knew better. But God wasn't actually tired. He wasn't, it wasn't sort of like when you get in from work on a Friday and go, oh, goodness me. Right, sofa Simpsons, um, as I do. <laughs> um, I've never actually tried to create a universe, but I would imagine it would be quite something of a substantial task to undertake. Only achieved once, actually. Um, so God didn't need to take a rest, but he did anyway. Why? God took a rest to set a pattern for his kids, the people of God, us. While God is infinite and does not need to rest, he had just created us and knew that we were finite and would get tired and would need to rest. And so God knows this and he goes, right, watch me and has a day off. And this is part of the prize that Christ's death on the cross won for us, won for the people of God. We are his kids and as such, he cares for us and provides for us and it's free. There's nothing that I can do or that you can do or that anyone can do to sort of make yourself pleasant towards God apart from Jesus Christ's death on the cross. That's how we're in, and this is how we benefit from all this stuff. So, even before there was any sin in the world, God knew that there would come a point in the week. God says to Adam, all right, tend the garden. Adam's a gardener. It's quite, does anybody like a bit of gardening? Johnny does. Lindsay does. I do. Phil does. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, I've heard the story about your balcony covered in mildew. Um, that doesn't count as gardening. <laughs> Things are growing, really. Just leave something out the fridge for a month. They'll do it. Um, no, before there was any sin in the world, God knew that there would come a point in the week where humanity would need a day of rest, where we would need a rest from all our work. And it wasn't, at the time, it wasn't bad, it wasn't sinful, it wasn't like we were... Um, tainted by the fall, but we just needed something different to do, something to recharge our batteries. Now, I've never seen The Shining, but has anyone seen The Shining? A couple of people. Yes, here's Johnny, next to Stu. Um, 
I've never, like I said, I've never seen The Shining, but I've seen The Simpsons Halloween special Mickey take of it. <laughs> which is a lot shorter, so it, it's, uh, you can't have it in bite-sized chunks. And, but in The Shining, the main character, uh, Jack Torrance, I think he's called, who's played by Jack Nicholson, he writes over and over again on his typewriter, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And while we must be careful to not to derive our philosophy about life from a psychological horror film, <laughs> I think old Jack does make a point that if we only fill up our life with one thing, then the amount of pleasure we get from it, and conversely, the amount of satisfaction we get from it, will be severely lessened. So all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. On the other hand, all play and no work makes Jack a dull boy. So this is point one. Before there was sin, there was Sabbath. Let's jump forward by several thousand years. We're going on a quest today. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. This is God giving to Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. So, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or, your, or the sojourner, which is a foreigner, uh, the sojourner who is within your gates. Now, a sojourner was somebody who had come to the nation in question and were, um, they were employed by you because they, they were a foreigner, so they had come and would be sort of looked after by you. You'd like, take somebody, like an apprentice kind of thing. Um, for, uh, going back to the verse. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in it, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, this is one of the Ten Commandments. This is the basis of uh, Israel's mor moral system. And this was just after the Israelites had been miraculously delivered from slavery after 400 years. And these commandments, because sometimes when you read the Bible, you think Genesis, brilliant creation, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, into Egypt, brilliant, Exodus coming out of that. And then you sort of, you get to Leviticus and you go, what on earth is this about? If a lizard drops into my pot, I have to break the pot. Good. Praise the Lord. Um, and there's just, it's just a list of how to, how to live, how to work, like how to cook, what to eat, what not to eat, and all these different things. And you, you can read it very easily because, you know, we have the NHS. We don't really need sort of lists of don't eat this, don't eat this, although maybe we should. Um, there's just all these... You get to the law and you think, what on earth is going on? But the, the law was given to Moses to establish a whole society, how to live, how to work, how to have family life, how to do worship. And this was important to establish because the people of God had been slaves for hundreds of years. That it would have been the equivalent of us being freed now from slavery, having been taken into slavery when Queen Elizabeth I was on the throne. That's sort of the length of time we're talking about. And suddenly we're out in the wilderness and we've got to function as a society. We have to make our own rules. We're not, we don't have the Egyptian taskmasters saying to us, you will do this or I will hurt you. We have a free society. And we would have no idea how to live. So God gives Israel the, the Ten Commandments and the law. It's kind of like, have you, has anyone seen Castaway? I like making reference to Tom Hanks films in my, in my sermons, you might have noticed. Jan Tregold isn't here, so I can uh, tell you the ending without upsetting someone. <laughs> Castaway is Tom Hanks gets lost on an island for several years. It's basically like a two-hour version of Lost, okay? If you saw Lost, 120 
five episodes or something. Brilliant, but lengthy. Castaway is Tom Hanks getting lost on an island for several years. I think it's four or five years. And he has to learn, obviously has to learn to fish and like what f- fruits are good to eat and has to make fire and you know, all these different things. It's a brilliant film, very good film. But then he gets back to civilization. Just ruined the ending. He gets back to civilization and he's totally bewildered by everyday things. Like he won't sleep on a bed. He sleep on the floor because he slept on sand for four years. So sleeping up, up on a height feels, feels strange. Like he's mesmerized by a fire lighter. Just this click and there's a flame instead of rubbing sticks together for a day and a half. And, and, and so on. He has to make all these readjustments. Now, Tom Hanks is on this island for four years, whereas the Israelites, the people of God, were, ensla- were slaves for more than 100 times longer than that. And they would have, have no idea how to function as a society. So God, because he loves his kids, he outlines the law, uh, which contains how to make a society function. That's what the old, much of the Old Testament law is about. And one of these is this commandment, to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And to not, like, one day a week, don't do any work. And this is because now the Israelites were free, now they were, had a free economy, a free market, the temptation would have been to work themselves into the ground because they could make as much cash as possible because they, weren't, because they were employed by themselves. They could, I have made all this cash, I will keep it. Does this sound familiar? They're sort of people working themselves into the ground? We're going to talk a bit more about that later. And notice the commandment isn't, it's not just the person, but it's their children, their servants, the people that they've taken on as almost like apprentices, their livestock. Don't, like, don't flog your donkey. You know, give them a day off. Give them some straw and a nice hat. I like the idea of a donkey with a hat. Um, you know, the livestock, all this gets, the rest, gets a rest one day a week. Um, elsewhere in the law, there's a commandment for a Sabbath year, which is, all right, use your ground, be a farmer, you know, plant crops and harvest them for six years, and then one year, don't, don't, don't harvest, don't plant anything, don't hurt the ground. So, um, I say hurt the ground, you know, like, just give it, give it a, a year to recover. Um, so, in the sixth year, you would take twice as much and obviously plant twice as much. And this should appeal to the environmentalists among us. Um, not looking at anyone. But God says that the land isn't to be flogged relentlessly, that part of our stewardship that God has given us is to respect the land and give it a rest. Or to put it another way, there are more important things in life than cash. There's, there's more important things to go after. And the benefit of this is that if you do take a rest, if your servants have a day off, if your livestock has a day off, if your children have a day off, if you have a day off, then you'll be more productive in the long run. You won't just burn out. You'll be able to go on being productive and have a you know, good career for longer. So this is point two. After slavery... When God had established a nation, there was a Sabbath built right in. It's, one of the, it's, in, so it's in the top ten commandments, if you would. It's very, very important. Again, let's now shoot a couple of thousand years forward and get into the New Testament. Mark 2, 23 through 28. This is uh, a story about Jesus, which is good. So, one Sabbath, he, that is Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to do. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So here we go. Here's Jesus just uh, out for a walk with his disciples, and his disciples decide to eat some corn. It's quite, quite like a nice postcard scene. So it's something you might send from holiday, so sitting in a meadow reading a novel or something. Um, but the Pharisees, for some the Pharisees were the very, very religious people, but they followed Jesus. They hated him, but they followed him around. He's going for a walk, and they're like, this is sort of like hiding behind trees or something. Ha-ha! You did something which is unlawful. And I don't know, maybe they're playing a game or something. I don't know. But um, he points out that the disciples, they were taking the heads of corn and they were, they were eating them. So in other words, they were harvesting. Okay? Now, I don't think they had like a scythe or a combine harvester or something. They were just they were hungry. So they were taking the heads of corn. They were eating it. They were having some corn on the cob. Not cooked, though. Debatable. Um, but harvesting the cross, crops counts as work. And so uh, the Pharisees, they say, ha-ha, have you not read? Is it why they do what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And so Jesus plays them at their own game. He appeals to their field of expertise. He says, ah, don't you know in the Scriptures, the Scriptures was their field of expertise. And he, he points out that there were special circumstances where you could do work. Is it work? Yum. It's hardly work, but whatever. Um, where you could do work in certain circumstances. But more than that, the Sabbath isn't meant to be some sort of laborious arduous, we have to obey this, otherwise we're going to be festooned with sin forevermore kind of thing. It's, it's not about that. It's, it's the Sabbath is a gift. It's a gift from father to son, from father God to beloved children, okay? And this is not something that we should fear or dread or think, oh goodness, I haven't done it this week, right? I'm going to have to cover myself in sackcloth and feel like a total minger for a week. That's, I, I don't use that word. Um, but the Sabbath is a gift. It's something that God had the idea of before we were born. It was put right there in Genesis, right there in the Ten Commandments, that once a week we should have a day off. And the reason for this is simple, that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. In the account, the account of this event in Matthew 12, Matthew adds, one greater than the temple is here. So he talks about, you know, David went into the temple and ate the bread that he wasn't supposed to eat. And that was deemed as, yeah, it's the right thing to do. One greater than the temple is here. Jesus is greater than the temple. And so, basically, he makes the rules about the Sabbath. Now, because Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, the idea of the whole Sabbath thing, it comes into question. Like, when should it be? What can I do? What can I not do? Um, how long should it last? Ah, Sabbath, starting now. And we're done. Like, I don't feel very rested doing that. So, like, how long should it last? Do I need to have one? Is it a, is it a sin if I don't? Uh, and we're going to come onto these things in a minute, but what's important to recognize is that Jesus' example, now Jesus who was always and 100% fully God, but was also 100% fully man, he would often just take whole days and just go off by himself and like, be, spend time with himself and pray and dare adventure, just enjoy his creation. Ah, I made this. Brilliant. And like, we see a man who would just take time to recharge his batteries. Then we have to ask ourselves, can we better his example? Like, are we saying we know better how to do life and work than Jesus? And I think we have to come to the conclusion, no. I'm not sure we do. <laughs> Thank you. So, point three. Jesus is greater than the temple and is Lord of the Sabbath. And just before we get into exactly the rationale behind the Sabbath and what that should look like, one, there's a tiny little obscure verse tucked away in Hebrews towards the end of the Bible. It's Hebrews 4 verse 9, and it says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And the question could then be asked, if Jesus has fulfilled the law 
as we believe, and died on the cross for our sins so that we could have a relationship with Father God, as we believe, and sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, as we believe, do we need or do we get to have Sabbath anymore? Do we need it anymore if it's all sort of been done? And this verse gives us a resounding yes, we do. We get to observe the Sabbath because we are the people of God. The Sabbath is a gift given to the people of God way back in the beginning and is the same gift that he's given to God to his people today. You, me, which is a good, this is a good thing. So as we can see from the Bible, the Sabbath is an ancient idea, but it has huge relevance for the people of God in the 21st century. Again, when I say work, I'm talking school, uni, child rearing, employment, whatever, however you spend your days, evenings, whatever. Um, I just want to sort of underline that because I'm talking about work, but I don't want you to be excluded. But the reason that this has huge relevance is that, well, our society is obsessed with work. We uh, are a society which will work longer hours, spend less time at home, spend less time doing leisure, and ultimately, uh, well, let me give you some statistics. I like statistics. The government's health and safety executive department, uh, I was just leafing through it the other day, um, (laughs) Um, It tells us that stress at work costs the UK more than half a billion pounds a year through lost days in the workplace. Um, So that across the workforce of the United Kingdom, that is 100, sorry, there's 14 million lost working days per year, okay? Or, if you want to put it another way, every year, stress costs us 38,000 years' work. Try and figure that out. So the whole, like 30, imagine how much work we could get done in 38,000 years. There's a lot of stuff. You could file all your photocopying. You could shred all those papers or whatever. Like, that is a massive, massive amount of time caused. That's just stress. That's not illness. That's not uh, injury. That's not, like, paternity leave, maternity leave, whatever. Just stress costs us 14 million lost days of work a year just in Britain. These are huge numbers. And as children of God, our attitude should be different to work than that of the world. That verse that I read in Colossians 3, you work not for your employer, not for the cash. You work for Christ. You, ultimately, the work that we do, we work as if we're working for Christ because in a broader sense, we are. If we work every hour under the sun because we're getting our identity from our job or because that will what makes us the most cash, then we are reflecting the wrong ideas. God does require, require us to work, but not to live for work, not to serve our work or to be defined by our work. And this is point four, the rationale behind the Sabbath, as we've seen from the biblical explanation of it, is give yourself a day of rest once a week, 24 hours in a week when you say, this is me time. I will sit on the sofa. I will drink a beer. I will not sit on the laptop and, I don't know, work. <laughs> I will, not, I will not prepare lessons. I will not do things that we could be construed as work because we need time off. We know that we need time off. We get to the point where I've worked so much, I need, goodness me, I need to go home. I need to, you know, play with a Rubik's Cube or on the PlayStation or just do something ridiculous. Play pool. That's ridiculous. Um, but this is a terrific idea because sometimes when we come home from work, ah, brilliant, I'm home from work. We don't really come home from work. We, we bring our work home with us. Like I said, I'm a teacher. I refuse to bring jotters home to Mark. 
I will stay at school and, and mark the jotters. I will not bring jotters home to mark. Or we, we check our emails. I'll just check my work email, see if that important thing. Things are important. D don't get me wrong. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that just let's all skip through fields with Jesus and live in a colony. I'm saying <laughs> let's, like ants. No, let's participate in society, but the way that we go about it should be different from the world, different from the way non-Christians think. So we, 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 can, we get home from work, we sit down, ah, I'll just check my emails. Or we have our emails forwarded to our phones. The, 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 the phone is a re remarkably rude invention. It's basically like saying, speak to me now, speak to me now, speak to me now, speak to me now. When, when there's a phone call, I'm having a nice chat with Phil, and suddenly there's a phone call. Ah, I must answer it. I must suspend this conversation and talk to somebody else. It's really, have you never thought about that? How really, really rude the phone is. <laughs> yes, we're having a very in-depth conversation. One second, I'm just going to have a conversation with somebody else. It's really quite rude. And now we have phones, uh, we can get internet on the phone, emails forwarded to the phone, push messages, and all these different things. And the information superhighway has made it so much easier to be in contact with everybody you know. And this is a good thing, because I can have contact with my friend in Nigeria, or my friend in Canada, or my friend in London, or wherever, at the touch of a button, at a moment's notice. But it means that other people can get in touch with me at a moment's notice. And sometimes it might be a time where I just say, okay, I'm going to turn my phone off. I love doing this, just turning my phone off and leaving it at home and like, ooh, I feel free. <laughs> it's really, really nice. I recommend it. Um, yeah, it, just turn your phone off and go for a walk. And just, because, you know, you say, oh, messages, no. No. <clears throat> Vodafone have new offers. Oh, man. It's, and it's, you get into this, oh, I have to check my phone. It's my life, my, it's like a lifeline. Um, and I really like phones, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. But the internet on the phone, the information superhighway has made it so easy to be in contact with everybody and I believe at the expense of really switching off and from the unforgiving busyness of life. We are busier as a nation than we've ever been. I really believe that. And there is a, there is a myth that a quieter day is coming. I'll, I'll finish all my work and then I'll have a day off. And it's rubbish. It's, it's, it's dangerous. It's incorrect. Because until you retire, there will always be something to be getting on with. There's always, you could, you could prepare next week's lessons. You could prepare, I don't know, I could start writing a book. I could start reading a book about work. I could, you know, leaf through the health and safety stuff at work. Yes, of course I read that. <laughs> Here you go, read this. It's 400 pages thick. I won't be reading that. I'll just panic. <laughs> it's so important now and then to choose not to work and to choose not to work, to make it, to make it a conscious decision. And, and I think this is, we have to hear this as, a, as, a, as people of God. There are, work is good, work, there, but there is more to life than work. Turn your phone off now and then. Don't check the email. Go outside or whatever. So the question comes, when should this happen? Well, the Bible doesn't say a specific day. Good. Andy Merrick, leader of our church, works on a Sunday. It's a, it's a day of work. So for him, to say, for him to say, I will have my day of rest on a Sunday would be a lie. <laughs> and we wouldn't want him to be lying. So he, I know that he has a, his day off as a Monday. So he will just like, not do church work, not prepare sermons, not visit people or whatever. You just, you'll have a day off once a week. And, but the Bible doesn't say what day this should happen. It's just, it's a gift. It's not a burden. It's not like, ah, ha, ha, you're outside. Go back inside. Rest. I was, I was going for a walk. But, 
Now, when I say this should happen, I don't want you to hear condemnation if you don't take a Sabbath, although I would like you to think about whether or not you're taking a Sabbath. Rather, I want you to hear biblical license. You can. It's okay. I want you to hear biblical license for taking a break and, dare I say, enjoying yourself. On our Sabbath, our work is done, even when it's not. It'll wait till Monday. It'll wait till the next day. Our work is done on the Sabbath, even when it's not. For example, I take a 24-hour Sabbath on a Friday night from when I get in from school through to a Saturday night. And what I do on that evening, it's my time. I will sit and watch television. I've seen, this, I've seen The Simpsons 15 times. I will watch the episode just sort of to make a point. I am watching this. Nobody can stop me from watching this. It's, it's brilliant. I set the agenda for what I do in that time. Okay? Like who I see, where I go, etc. What I wear, and so on. Um, and, and that's... That, but sometimes, I, if I'm going along to Ignite, who rule, um, Ignite who rule. There we go. Ignite are our wonderful youth group. Um, Ignite meet on a Friday night, so I won't, as lovely as they are, it's not rest. Um, because it's, it's something that I've put into the calendar, so I will move it. I will have all day on a Saturday, perhaps, or whatever. And so we don't want to get legalistic about this. Aha, you said your Sabbath was a Thursday, and here you are with a phone in your hand. Get out, you sinner. It, it's, it's not like that. It's just it's a principle for a time of rest rather than you are having a Sabbath on this day. And what, that'll look like different things to each of us. Um, like I said, Andy, who works on a Sunday, has a day off on a Monday. If you're in, in fact, if, if you're involved in any sort of church leadership or just sort of part of the fellowship, then Sunday can not be the most restful of days. Sometimes I get home from church and I've had a brilliant time, but I'm knackered. And I just want to sit down and have a nice snack or something. Um, <laughs> Now, the idea of the Sabbath being on a Sunday has been around for a long time, but in actuality, we don't have to be legalistic about this. We don't have to eat. Uh, eat? Rest. <laughs> no, we do have to eat on a Sunday. <laughs> I, just, I heard the rustling and it distracted me. Um, we don't have to have our day of rest on a Sunday, but what I'm saying is it's important to build in, to schedule in a regular time of rest. Otherwise, it won't happen. We'll say, oh, I'll have a day off, and then can you just do this? And sometimes we might have to say, actually, I've got something on. They don't need to know I'm going to be sitting watching The Simpsons <laughs> because well, I think you can defend. You know, I like watching The Simpsons. Some people will you know, go and play basketball. I can play basketball with Spicer. Where is he? Uh, Chris Spicer plays basketball. He's over there. I can't play basketball to save my life. That wouldn't be restful. That would be very stressful. That would be work. Um, but just to build it in and sort of and guard it because the pressures of life so easily go, ah, I'll just take this back. I'll just take an hour here. I'll just take an hour there. And before long, your Sabbath consists of an episode of Neighbors once a week, which would be terrible. <laughs> so it's a principle of rest rather than a specific day, and we have to remember that. So why should it happen? Just recapping. We've looked at this already. The Sabbath was given as a gift for our benefit. Because we need rest. God knows this. God knows that we need rest. And God, who didn't need to rest, rested. Why? To set an example. And now we come to the big question. What should we do on our Sabbath? How should we spend this day? Relax. Have fun. Go outside. Spend time with friends. Spend time with family. Do what relaxes and replenishes you. When after it you feel brilliant, relaxed. Um, take time to do nothing. 
watch TV, listen to music, uh, sit in the garden, go for a walk, watch the traffic, whatever. Um, do something fun which doesn't pertain to work. Do something just because you enjoy it. Play basketball or don't play basketball or whatever. And this will be different for different people because if you're an extrovert, an extrovert is somebody who is energized by being with people and being by themselves drains their batteries. Okay? So if you're an extrovert, your Sabbath might look like seeing half a dozen people. Coffee, lunch, coffee, dinner, coffee, drinks. It's really buzzing by the end of it. Um, and so if you're an extrovert, your Sabbath will look really, really busy. But if you're an introvert, that's somebody who likes spending time with people, but that sort of drains their batteries and they need to spend time by themselves to recharge, then your Sabbath might look like reading a good book, watching TV, going for a walk, playing on the PlayStation or whatever. And there's no right or wrong here. If you're, it's not like if you're an extrovert, you're like, ha-ha, you've got it right, you're seeing people. And if you're an introvert, ah, you troll. It's not like that. I am an introvert. I, and I'm married to an extrovert who was, I just know it's not there. Um, so I am an introvert and Sarah is an extrovert. And so our Sabbaths require quite some engineering. But that's fine because we recharge our batteries in different ways. And neither of us is wrong about this. So I'm told to believe. Right, one final thought before we close is that God thinks it's okay to have additional days off throughout the year. Read Leviticus 23. It's a brilliant chapter of Leviticus because it's a, basically it's a list of additional days off throughout the year that God commands the Israelites to observe. Translated into our culture, what this is saying is God approves of bank holidays. They, it's, and so enjoy them. They, they are there to be enjoyed. So, conclusion, let's round off. I believe there are two equal and opposite errors that people fall in when thinking about work uh, and thinking about the Sabbath. And these are either Homer Simpson or Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> now, <laughs> Margaret Thatcher famously said, home is the place you go when there is no more work left to do. <laughs> Which is to place work so high on the agenda that it eclipses all other aspects of your life. It eclipses friends and family and leisure and God and things like this. Whereas Homer Simpson, on the other hand, falls into the opposite category. He's often late for work. He uh, sleeps on the job. He steals equipment. Uh, another day, another box of stolen pens and he, as he throws it into his car. And he tries to get away with doing as little work as possible. And he famously said, if you don't like your job, you don't strike. You just go in every day and do it really half-assed. That's the American way. No offense to Americans, um, but that, it is, yeah, he's an oaf. But our, our friend Homer has an equally erroneous view of work as Margaret Thatcher does. And I believe that we should work hard as Christians and play hard. Have a Mars bar once a day. Helps you work, rest, and play. So... Do the best job you can do at work. And of course, as I mentioned, do the best job you can do at work. Do the best job you can do at uni. Do the best job you can do at school. Do the best job you can do raising your kids. Do these to the best of your abilities and fully maximize the time we have at work. Turn your, but also, maximize the time we have away from work. Turn your phone off. Uh, disable your email and Twitter and Facebook notifications or... Be proactive in protecting your Sabbath time because the pressures of life can so easily and quickly just crowd it out. And before you know, you haven't had a day off in a month. 
And of course, as I said, we, we shouldn't be legalistic about this, but there is flexibility for us. It's called grace. There is flexibility in our Sabbath, but sometimes we might need to work late one night. I have one night a week on a Monday night where I will work. I will come home from school, I will have my dinner, and I'll work prepare, preparing the next week's lessons, and that's fine. But these should be the exception rather than the rule. Some of us might need to work fewer hours, and that'll cost us cash. But health and happiness and rest are at least equally as important as money. And this is similar to our attitude towards sort of tithing. Okay? We give cash away believing that God will provide for all our needs. There's also another principle in the Bible called gleaning, which was because it was an agricultural society, a lot of farms, the farmers were told, right, when you're gathering your crops, don't gather every last little stalk. Leave some. Don't sort of, you know when you're hoovering and you don't quite get into the corners? Just leave the corners full of corn or whatever. Um, But sort of just leave them so that other people can come along and, it's called gleaning, come along and just, um, and have, it's like, it's trust so that people who are unemployed, people who are poor, people who can't afford it can come along and just take from yourself. And it's basically, it's tithing and gleaning is basically saying, I trust you, God, to provide for me. It's the same way with our attitude to work. There will always be more money to be made. There's always more cash to be made. But there are more important things than cash. So, typical preaching style. Three questions to finish with. Number one, what's your attitude to work? Are you Homer Simpson or Margaret Thatcher? I hope neither. Question two, how do you feel about taking a Sabbath day off every day? Uh, Every day. (laughs) It's almost buffet time. (laughs) How do you feel about taking a Sabbath day off every week? Do you need to build it more into your schedule? Not saying it has to be the same day every week. Some people work shifts. That's fine. But it needs to be built in. And finally, how can you make the most of your Sabbath? What can you do that relaxes you? Now, I'm aware that I've thrown a lot of practicalities out there today. This is somewhat of a different sermon in that it's intensely practical. And the, sorry, I've thrown a lot of principles out today. The practicalities will vary from person to person. But these are some things to consider uh, over the next couple of days. So I'm going to pray to finish. Um, that what I want to see, I, I want to see Hope Church as the most productive people in Glasgow and the most rested people in Glasgow. And we need help to do that because we don't always get the balance right. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand back over to the glorious Phil Ford. So, Lord, thank you that you, you look after us, that you provide ways for us to get the best out of life, to get the best out of work, to get the best out of rest, Lord. I pray for, for anyone who is um, thinking and considering and maybe struggling with what I've said today, Lord. I pray that you would speak to them gently. God, I pray that we can reflect Jesus in his attitude to work and his attitude to rest because we are building your kingdom, God, and this is what it looks like. Well, we pray for this food, that it would be amazing and that you'd bless it to us. Amen.